I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. This is Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry from Utah's Capitol Hill to your schools, Texas, and all the breaking news. Hear it on Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry on KSL News Radio. A number of years ago, I was a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, and you know how uh, you know we would do our work. Uh, proselyting, going two by two. I was in uh, Mexico, and I ha- had a companion once, uh, and he and I, we, we got along really well. And uh, he was uh, an American as well, like me, learning the language. And uh, he was one who, and you may have had some companions like this, uh, if you served as a missionary in a, a place where you were learning a second language, where the, the one learning the language would only speak the mission language. I, I would bounce back and forth between English and Spanish, and my objective was to communicate, and that's how I rationalized that. Uh, but, uh, but this companion of mine uh, would, would only speak Spanish, uh, would only speak Spanish. English, his first language, uh, and I don't want uh, to say where he was from exactly, but let's just say the United States where English was his first language. Uh, and then in the field, uh, he was, of course, learning, learning Spanish as we were there uh, in, in Mexico. We got along very well. And then one day, we, I think it was a preparation day, we were just kind of shooting the breeze, talking about uh, the, the lives we lived before uh, the mission and the lives we hope to live afterwards. And he let it be known, <clears throat> as we were chatting there, that uh, he, before, uh, before dedicating himself to missionary service, that he was, and I don't know exactly what, what how to describe it, but he believed that Elvis Presley was alive. He believed that Elvis Presley was alive and that his death, his alleged death, was part of this vast conspiracy to accomplish this or that end. And so he and others with his shared belief would spend immense time and resources and energy on finding Elvis Presley. I'm not, I'm not joking around here. This was a, an earnest belief he he held. And and he, he let it be known that after afterwards, after his uh, time as a missionary, that he intended uh, to he intended on doing what he could to you know feed himself and take care of himself, but that he was going to dedicate himself entirely to tracking down Elvis Presley. I, in those years, in my two years as a missionary, I was a, a much younger and more immature man. I saw this as a great opportunity to get some laughs. And so I teased him for his belief. I gave him a hard time. 
I, <laughs> as we would walk uh, up and down the street, uh, I, I would say, oh my gosh, did you see behind that palm tree there? I, I think it was Elvis. I was very mean. I thought I was having fun. I wasn't reading the room. Uh, he, he was getting very frustrated. You remember, too, that he, was, uh, he would only speak in Spanish. He, he, for him, that was the best way to learn the language. Uh, and I kept pushing his buttons on this uh, Elvis Presley conspiracy thing. And uh, uh, one day, uh, we're walking down the street. I made some uh, wise crack. I think I might have said something about uh, gracias, gracias very mucho. Uh, and he didn't like that. And he uh, broke from Spanish and said, you know what, Lonsberry, you can be a real jerk. And and we really didn't have any of those fun conversations afterwards. That that relationship was kind of soured. Uh, he, he, I had responded poorly to his belief uh, and and his conspiracy theory uh, had grown to such a level that uh, it, it consumed him, and it let uh, it let that uh, you know kind of kind of dictate things when when I was you know not being very sensitive. We we, we were both guilty of something there. We were both. Uh, I was guilty for being insensitive and making light of something he believed in very heavily. And he was guilty, in my humble opinion, of not recognizing the, the, the seeming absurdity of the belief. Now, I'm not saying that he shouldn't have believed that. I don't agree with it. I think that Elvis Presley is no longer among the living. Uh, but he, he believed very strongly in that. And... The, the, the lesson that I learned there is that, uh, number one, you got to be sensitive to stuff. Uh, you got to be sensitive to people's beliefs. And number two, uh, when you have a belief that is, uh, you know, seemingly uh, a, a relatively unpopular view, you have to understand that there are going to be some people uh, who, who don't agree with you. And their lack of belief is, shouldn't be viewed as some antagonistic move against you. Where am I going with all of this? Well, I wanted to tell that story because I haven't told it in a long time that I was a missionary companion with uh, uh, an Elvis Presley conspiracy theorist. Not many people can boast of that. And I share it also to to illustrate something that has been taking place in our society and unfortunately in our very own families over this past year and before even. Conspiracies, conspiracy theories. Uh, There is, of course, uh, the QAnon believers. Some of those individuals feel very, very strongly in, uh, you know, in in the what the doctrine of QAnon. I don't even know how to refer to it, right? But it's to me, it's nonsense. To me, it's garbage. To me, uh, there is zero evidence of any of that. But this is not a conversation about the merits of these conspiracies. It's about how to appropriately behave when you believe a certain way, and you say your family members or friends don't. The relationship between loved ones should be uh, forever held on a, on, a, on a pedestal, okay? Sure, there are things that are so egregious that you do need to uh, tear those bonds, but uh, we can't let conspiracy theories tear families apart. I spent a chunk of the morning reading a, a BuzzFeed article written uh, not that long ago uh, by a young man named Albert. Uh, Albert uh, and his mother, his single mother, she raised him uh, by herself, uh, he, her only son. Uh, They were incredibly close, incredibly close. Uh, And he, uh, you know, when it came time to make some life decisions to to grow up and uh, get a job, he decided to get into journalism. And his mother uh, had some thoughts about the media, right? Part of a vast conspiracy, 
And as the years went on and his journalism career progressed and her beliefs uh, became more and more extreme, uh, their relationship became strained to the point where uh, all conversations revolved around her accusing him of being part of some vast conspiracy and he trying to communicate to her uh, his beliefs and also at the same time trying to debunk excuse me, uh, her beliefs, which by this point had come to include uh, the QAnon conspiracies. Their relationship disintegrated. And as I read his writings, his summary of this deteriorated relationship, I thought to myself, you know what? I've, I've seen things like this. I have seen relationships strained by these types of beliefs. And I wonder if there might be something to do. I wonder if there might be some way to safeguard against that. I wonder if there may be some sort of uh, language that could be used or some sort of understanding or even maybe a little bit of looking the other way, right? Sometimes these conspiracy theories, uh, you know, if they exist just in someone's head and, uh, you know, they're not burning down buildings or breaking into pizza parlors, uh, maybe it's all right. You know, you wish they'd believe otherwise, uh, but the number one priority is maintaining the relationship. Don't try to change the mind. If by so doing, uh, you are going to destroy the relationship, certainly exceptions to that, certainly when when danger is involved and when harm or when fraud or criminality is involved, you got to step up and say something. But I would rather be best friends with someone I disagree with than uh, attempt to to (laughs) change their mind and destroy the relationship forever. Have you experienced anything like this? Are there families... Are there family members? Are there family members uh, who have become estranged, and you have needed to, uh, you know, maybe stop calling or stop seeing due to these types of conspiracy theories? How did you overcome it if you were able to? I'd like to use your experiences uh, to help the rest of us know how to mend maybe some broken relationships in our own family. If you've got any experiences to share, if there's someone in your family who believes a, a certain way in some sort of extreme conspiracy uh, to the point where it's all consuming and many members of the family have cut ties, uh, what have you done to maintain those ties or what are you doing uh, to to rejoin them? 801-575-8255, 801-KSL-TALK. How do you preserve a relationship broken by conspiracy? 801-575-8255. Again, KSL Talk is the number. Uh, Give a call. We'll take a break right now. When we return, uh, your calls and advice here on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. This is Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry. Hey, welcome back to the program. Something caught my attention this morning, an article written a few days back in BuzzFeed. It was uh, a reporter there who really just wrote down the story of the relationship between himself and his mother. Uh, She, over the past uh, few years, has become very caught up in uh, conspiracy, conspiratorial notions. Uh, She spent much time uh, researching, if you will, uh, the QAnon conspiracy and others. And her son, a journalist by trade, uh, she over time came to see uh, or came to view as an enemy to the point ultimately where their relationship frayed uh, to to a point where, uh, well, it was non-existent. And I 
I don't quite to that same extreme uh, have you know similar experiences. I told a story where uh, I was a bit of a jerk to a companion of mine uh, when I was a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, he um, re- revealed one day to me that he believed that Elvis Presley was alive uh, and that he intended to, after his missionary service, uh, return to the hunt, trying to track down uh, Elvis. I, uh, very insensitive to that, and being very young and immature myself, uh, I <laughs> I kind of gave him a hard time about it, uh, to the point where our relationship frayed, and uh, we really were ineffective companions. And, uh, and I take responsibility for that. And, uh, well, as I, as I think about these things, uh, and I think about relationships, how sometimes the relationship is much more valuable than the, you know, than proving a point or uh, disproving some conspiracy or proving to someone uh, or sharing with them evidence of some conspiracy in which you believe in. Uh, how, do you, how do you sidestep those uh, glaring differences? And how do you ensure that you maintain uh, what is actually valuable, uh, the the relationship at hand? Uh, Luis joins us on the line from Orem. Luis, welcome to the program. How are you? I am good, thank you. Uh, t- tell me your experience. What advice would you give to folks who may have someone in their family with uh, some extreme views? How do you how do you maintain the relationship when it would be very easy to fall into some sort of like antagonistic back and forth? Just be sensitive. You know, be sensitive um, because we don't share the same opinions. Um, personally, I've experienced some things that I told people about it and they didn't believe me. Mm. And it, it, it hurts. It hurts in a way that, in a way that, at least, like you were saying earlier, at least just show some compassion. Not compassion, but just being sensitive. Right. My, and if I can have 30 seconds. Uh, that's all I've know, got I for you. Time is tight. Different. Okay, thank you. Um, I went through something, and I, I kept telling people about it. And I kept telling people, hey, you know what? This is what happened to me. And... I'm I'm not making this up, but people will just laugh and not being sensitive. And I mean, after a while, I just I just probably told myself, you know what? I think it never happened. Yeah, I'm just gonna leave it at that. I but see. I felt bad because those people that were close to me didn't believe me. So yeah, yeah whoever is in the same situation, let's just hear what they have to say, and if we don't share the same opinion, yeah, let's just be nice about it. That's the way. Louis, Louis, thank you so much for that. Uh, The the, the first words out of your mouth, the most important ones, be sensitive, right? You're going to find yourself in circumstances where you disagree uh, very sharply. I'll read a a message which just came in a moment ago. It says, uh, I won't identify the, the texture, but it reads, I have a son who's a constitutional conservative just to the right of Genghis Khan. And I have a daughter uh, who is a lesbian and a Democrat. They, on their own, decided not to discuss politics at family functions. The assertion, if they can do it, anybody can do it. Uh, There you go. 
And that's uh, that's really one of the points that we need to learn right now. As you hear everyone left and right uh, talking about uh, sensitivity and civility and coming together, it is finding a way to be 100 percent able to exist with those individuals with whom you don't agree, especially if they are in your own family. That's it for me. I'll be back tomorrow at 1230. Time to step aside and make way for the great Jeff Kaplan here on KSL News Radio. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.